Hi, this is Tom Field with Information Security Media Group. The topic today is SARS, or Dancing with the SARS, as our, uh, our guest likes to refer to it. And we're talking with Kevin Sullivan, anti-money laundering investigator. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me today. You're very welcome, Tom. Dancing with the SARS, you say. Now, SARS often are perceived by banks as a nuisance and as something that they don't want to dance to. Why is that? I believe it all starts with confusion over what constitutes suspicious and exactly how much information is necessary to include in the SAR. Add to that reporting deadlines and mandatory reviews and internal logs describing why you didn't complete a SAR, and then the frustration reaches its apex uh, with the erroneous perception that the SARs fall into this black hole after they leave your desk. So, Kevin, obviously SARS are just a crucial part of any kind of anti-money laundering investigation. What has to be done to correct the perceptions that you've outlined for us? Well, I, I think the correction process has already begun. Uh, between FinCEN's guidelines on SAR reporting and the new FFIC manual written guidelines, uh, all these rules are now available, and it's less of a guessing game than it used to be. Additionally, uh, law enforcement has reached out to the financial community with programs such as Operation Cornerstone, which provides guidance and feedback to the financial community. Now, you spend years in anti-money laundering investigations. What do you find is most misunderstood about SARS? I think the concept that uh, drops the jaw of most bankers I talk to is the fact that law enforcement actually does read the SARS. Uh, we find them very valuable in providing us with intelligence. Uh, usually, we investigate a crime and then trying to find the assets. However, with SARS, we're able to do what we call reverse engineering. Uh, that's where we take the situation, and now we're finding the money and are looking to discover what crime was committed. You know, it occurs to me, Kevin, we're midway through this conversation. We've said SARS, 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 and haven't stopped once to say we're talking about suspicious activity reports for people that, that, that don't know what the acronym stands for. That's right, and if it's an international uh, standard, it's called an STR, Suspicious Transaction Report. So, Kevin, give us a real-life example of an effective suspicious activity report, or a SAR, that helped you in an investigation. I think probably the most well-known example of how a SAR has helped was the recent New York State Governor Elliot Spitzer case. That investigation began with a SAR. The SAR was completed by the financial institution as a result of some odd money movements. That prompted the bank to conduct due diligence, which resulted in some additional unusual transactions being uncovered. After completing some enhanced due diligence, the situation had finally risen to a level of suspicious. The bank completed a SAR, and like I mentioned earlier, law enforcement does read them, and the SAR was then turned over into an intelligence lead for law enforcement, and from there it's all history. Yeah, and from there the governor resigned, and the overwhelming reaction I heard afterwards was the system worked. The system worked perfectly. Yeah, the banks did exactly what they were supposed to do, and, and they reported it just like they were supposed to report it, and law enforcement read it and picked up on it. Now, Kevin, you've been in this business for a long time. How many SARs would you say you, you review in the course of a month? Uh, we look at at the New York HIFCA, where I'm assigned at. Uh, we read, we only look at the BSA SARs, 
and we read over 4,000 BSA SARS each month. Is it safe to say that's a lot of good, bad, and ugly? Yeah, for the most part. That's, uh, a, a lot of them are, uh, you still have your defensive filings. Uh, a lot are, are could be tax evasion cases. Uh, a, a lot of them are just uh, easily explained. Uh, however, of the 4,000, we try to use a filtering process, and we narrow it down to maybe a couple hundred that we can do some enhanced due diligence on. And then at the end of the month, we try to have it down to about... Uh, you know, maybe 35, 40 SARS that we're actually taking active looks at. So you see a lot of these, Kevin. I'm sure that there are some bad habits that emerge from these. What are some of the worst traits that you currently see in the SARS that you review? Well, the SARS, uh, and I, I must say the SARS have really dramatically improved over the last several years. However, if I were to put my finger on, on it, I'd say that incomplete narratives are probably the largest common mistake uh, for a long time, there was just so many conflicting concepts about what to put into the narrative. Some institutions says, keep it light, don't put too much in, don't say too much. Other institutions said, put everything, put every little detail into it. Uh, so we'd go from one SAR, which had a narrative of uh, two sentences long, to the next SAR being 12 pages long. Uh, of course, as the institutions and the regulators and law enforcement each put their two cents in, uh, some better guidelines were eventually crafted, and hence the FinCEN report and the uh, uh, FFIEC manual. So you're starting to see better standards now? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, now now it's uh, it, the banks pretty much have it all together. Now we're seeing, uh, because the insurance industry is new to the game, and, and, and jewelry industry is going to be very new to the game, we're going to go through the same process with them, and it'll take a while to get them up to speed in, in, in composing a quality narrative. Well, that's a good point, because we tend to think of banking institutions, but really we do have to think about jewelry stores and insurance companies and casinos even. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's just a whole other realm uh, that hasn't uh, had attention focused on it. Uh, and I, I feel bad for some of the, uh, these new institutions because they just don't, they don't understand this stuff yet. So it's going to be a, a long process to get them up to speed. Kevin, you've got a webinar upcoming for us that, where you're going to talk about some of these SARS issues. What are some of the areas that you're going to tackle in this presentation? I've broken down the webinar into uh, a couple sections. Uh, first, the SAW process. Uh, the basics of SAW writing, who's monitoring the transactions, uh, the narrative, which is the biggest section, and finally the aftermath, or what happens once the SAW leaves your desk. So by the time we get through this, we'll all be dancing with the SARS, is that right? We'll all be doing the Fred and Ginger, that's right. <laughs> Kevin, one last question for you. You deal with an awful lot of SARS in your business. You've been in the anti-money laundering business for a long time. When it comes to SARS, what would you say is the, the most frequently asked question that you get? Uh, do you guys read them? That, that by, hands down, by far. Uh, do you, uh, meaning law enforcement, right. uh, do you guys in law enforcement read these things? Because that, that is the perception out there is that nothing ever happens. Well, we read every one of them and, and and we have to have human eyes on it because we, we can't use software because everybody every institution writes the narrative a little differently so no software can pick up on it we have to have a human eyes with human experience and, and human uh, skills 
look through it and decide if it's something that we want to proceed with. And sometimes we can't call you up and tell you we have a case going on. First of all, we can't share information. Uh, and secondly, uh, we may be looking and we may look at other things and we can't talk to you about it. But sometimes you do get the phone call. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll give a call to one of the bankers and say, uh, I read one of your stories and I'm interested in this case and, you know, that we have to get the, uh, the nurse up there because he just had a coronary because he can't <laughs> believe that law enforcement actually called him on it. But uh, but we're doing more of that also. You're seeing more and more uh, law enforcement dedicating to looking at the SARS now because we've realized this is just a wealth of, uh, of possible leads for us. So clearly they are red, and as you say, the Spitzer case showed us quite recently the system does work. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't guarantee you what goes on in uh, farm country in middle America, but I can certainly guarantee you in New York we read everything that comes comes out. Uh, I also tell you that all these HIFCA areas, and there are seven HIFCA areas in the country, uh, that's their mandate, is to read all these stars. So in the big uh, you know, drug areas, which is why HIFCAs were developed, uh, all the stars are getting read. And there are other agencies, law enforcement, FBI, and, and, uh, and other task force that are certainly ICE and IRS, but also reading these things all over the country. So uh, if there's one thing that I'd like to get across is that, yeah, we read them and we do care about them, and, and they do provide us with great information. Excellent. Kevin, I appreciate your time and your insight today, and I look forward to your upcoming webinar. You're welcome, Tom. been talking with Kevin Sullivan, anti-money laundering investigator, about suspicious activity reports. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.